maybe <clears throat> some of you have seen the movie Cinderella Man. It's a story of a boxer named Jim Braddock who overcame career-ending injuries and the devastation of the Great Depression with integrity, humility, and tenacity. Braddock was a rising star in the amateur boxing world when he shattered his right hand in a punch just two months before September 3rd, 1929, when the stock market crashed. Like so many others, he lost everything, and with the injury to his right hand, his fighting career began to hit the skids. He won only six of his next 22 bouts, and he was tagged as a has-been before he ever really achieved his full potential. And the boxing world began to, began to lose all interest in him. For the next five years, Braddock searched for jobs, trying his best to provide for his family. It was a time of humiliation, pain, and loss. But Braddock handled the challenges with such integrity that something deep and strong began to form inside of him, inside the inner character of who he was. And his suffering had made him strong in ways that had been missing before. In 1934, five years later, something happened that changed everything for him. He received a surprise invitation back into the ring. It was only for an undercard fight to a title match. It was nothing official, just a one-time shot. And he was to face the future Hall of Fame boxer, John Corn Griffin. I like that nickname, Corn, right? who was being groomed as one of the contenders for the world title. And Braddock stepped right out of the dock work into the ring with no training to refine the, his forgotten skills. And nevertheless, in three rounds, it was over. The underdog surprised everyone. And that fight put Braddock back in the circuit where he began to face boxers that two years earlier defeated him. And he continued to defy all the odds, all the predictions, and he began to decisively defeat high caliber opponents, clearing the fighting brackets for a shot at the title. And on June 13th, 1935, Braddock stepped into the ring at Madison Square Garden to face Max Baer for the championship. He was a 10 to one underdog. 15 brutal rounds later, Jim Braddock dubbed Cinderella Man for his rise from the pit to the pinnacle was announced winner by unanimous decision. It ranked as one of the most stunning upsets in boxing history when this washed out fighter claimed the title heavyweight champion. And this morning, as we continue in our series called Grit, I want us to look at how long before Jim Braddock there was a man named Joseph who with his guts, his resilience, his integrity, his tenaciousness, he kept his character straight and true in spite of how he was being treated. He continued to faithfully serve God. And so will you stand with me this morning out of honor of reading the word of God? It's found in Genesis 37. Starting in verse 3, it says, Jacob loved Joseph more than any of his other children 
because Joseph had been born to him in his old age. So one day, Jacob had a special gift made for Joseph, a beautiful robe. But his brothers hated Joseph because their father loved him more than the rest of them. They couldn't say a kind word to him. Let's pray. God, this morning, I ask that you would help us all to see the grit of Joseph and how through it all, you guided him, you directed his life, and how with the same resilience and integrity that he had, we can have. And so God, I pray, may you help us to unpack your truths today and apply it to our lives. And may we begin to have that same grit that Joseph had, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Joseph's story is one of my favorite Bible stories, probably because I can relate to some of the things that he went through. I was never thrown in prison, so don't worry about that. But growing up, you know, he was, jo- he was Jacob's favorite son. He was the favorite child. And I got to tell you, I'm my parents' favorite. I really am. I don't know why you're laughing, but I'm my parents' favorite. And, and I got to tell you also, Jeanette's father is always telling me I'm his favorite son-in-law. I'm their only son-in-law, but still, I'm their favorite son-in-law. Favorites. I understand that. I also can like understand how Joseph and his brothers didn't get along. I had a brother growing, growing up, and we shared the same room, and we fought all the time. And what started out as kids with stuffed animal wars where we'd throw them at each other until someone cried, as kids, it turned into fistfights when we turned into teenagers to the point where he knocked me out. We're fighting in our bedroom, and next thing I know, he hits me in the head, and I'm coming to stumbling in the hallway. We didn't get along very well. We fought like cats and dogs. I can relate to that. You know, but, but here, Joseph, he has this dream from God, and instead of living out this dream, he thought his life was going to be a little bit different. He went through what seemed like a bunch of detours, and his life ended up looking a little bit different than he had planned. And I'm sure that many of us here today would say the same thing, that when we were younger, we had a dream of what our life was going to look like. We dreamed maybe some great big dreams, and looking back now, we're saying, hmm, my life didn't really turn out the way it is, or the way I planned it. I love my life now, but I thought it was going to be a little bit different. You know, I thought my life was going to turn out a little bit different. I love my life. But looking back, you know, 20 years ago, I thought it was going to be a little bit different than it is today. And here in Genesis chapter 37, we're introduced to this young man named Joseph. And he's the 11th son of Jacob. And to say that Joseph is spoiled is an understatement. He was the father's favorite, and his brothers hated him for it. But even worse... Joseph didn't do anything to help his cause, right? And Joseph's father, Jacob, made no effort to hide the favoritism either. 
And Jacob went so far as to make Joseph his own little stool pigeon. And along with that, giving Joseph this special, beautiful, fancy robe in the process. And now, parents, let me caution you. Beware of the folly of favoritism and the fury which will accompany it. See, we need to remember that all our children are unique, and each and every one of them are a gift from God. We need to learn to cherish each one because each one is special. We need to love them, cherish them, show them affection, recognize that that they are unique and that their personalities are different than the rest, that they truly are individuals. See, this robe that was given to Joseph was beautiful. had long sleeves. It went all the way down to his feet. And his brothers, they didn't receive a robe like that. They weren't so lucky. And this robe pointed out once again, blatantly, that Joseph was the favorite. And his brother's jealousy continued to build up. See, jealousy is a giant monster that will eat you alive and will become everyone's problem. And to make matters worse, Joseph, he begins to have these dreams from God. And he decides to share them with his family. And he begins to tell them how these dreams were showing him that he was going to be greater than his entire family and that they would all bow down to him. Well, you can only imagine how that this made his brothers feel. This was the final straw that broke the camel's back. The brothers finally had enough. And so one day, while Joseph's brothers were out working in the field, tending the family's flocks, Joseph's hanging out in his father's tent. And I'm not sure if you've ever noticed that, but Joseph got to hang back while the brothers went out to work. The only time Joseph was ever hanging out with his brothers working was when the father sent him to get a report on what the brothers were doing. We had a word for Joseph when I was a kid. It was called tattletale. And when I grew up to be a teenager, it was a snitch, right? And then one day, these brothers saw their chance to get rid of the spoiled little brat once and for all. And so the brothers, they're tending the flocks some distance away and Jacob sends Joseph to go find out what the brothers are doing. And the brothers see Joseph walking from a distance. They can see that robe. And they see him coming. And all of a sudden, they've had enough of daddy's little pet. And so when he gets there, they grab him. They take the coat off of him. They throw him down into a dry well. And they're sitting there eating dinner. And after dinner... Midianite traders come by, and they, de- they decide instead of killing their brother, let's sell him, because it's better to make money than to get nothing at all. And so they decide to do that, but now a problem arises. What are they going to tell their father? And so they begin to concoct the story that he was killed by a wild beast, and To make their story even more credible, they take Joseph's robe and dip it in some blood goat, goat blood, and they send it off to their father. And with the exception of the father's grief, 
their story comes off without a hitch. And the brothers, they're probably congratulating each other. They're probably high-fiving each other how great everything went off. And their annoying brother is now gone. They're never to hear him or see him again. And now their dad will probably never play favorites again. Joseph's gone. End of story. But not quite. We read at the end of this chapter a word that indicates otherwise. In Genesis 37, 36, it says, Meanwhile, the Midianite traders arrived in Egypt where they sold Joseph to Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. Potiphar was captain of the palace guard. I want you to underline that word meanwhile. Just underline it, circle it, and take a moment and think about what does that word mean? What does it suggest to you? In the old Western movies, the caption would always read, meanwhile, back at the ranch, right? And for some, it, meanwhile may mean, you know, nothing's changed, that, that everything is still the same. But here the word has an entirely different purpose. It leaves the door open for something more. It suggests that there's something more to come. In other words, while Joseph's brothers are hanging back, having a good time, enjoying their life without their brother, something else is beginning to happen in Joseph's life at the same time. It reminds us that God's ways are not our own and that he's working something out that's completely beyond our understanding and comprehension. It suggests that no matter what we may see going on around us, God is still working out his plan. In the midst of Joseph's life, he sold into slavery. God was about to do something. Despite the day's events that come, God will fulfill his word, his purpose, and his promise for your life. So you may be looking around and wondering, how can God do anything with the situation that I find myself in? But I have to tell you, hold on. Have that same grit that Joseph had. Don't waver from your faith, and God will bring you through. See, that's exactly what was going on with Joseph. His brothers believe that he's good as dead, that the dreams that he had are now finally silenced. But then comes this word, meanwhile, which hints there's something more to come. And the story continues. Joseph, he's sold to Potiphar, and he rises in power in Potiphar's home, and all of a sudden, Potiphar's wife lays a trap for him and accuses him of trying to take advantage of her. And so Joseph now is thrown into prison. First he's sold as a slave, and now he's thrown in prison. But while he's in prison, he begins to rise in power again. And he's given responsibility to take care of two of Pharaoh's top cabinet members, who were thrown in prison. And one day they both have dreams, and Joseph successfully interprets them. And as he talks to the cupbearer, he tells him, listen, when you are restored back to your prominence, back to your position in Pharaoh's cabinet, remember me, right? Remember me. 
Help me get released. And yet, for some reason, the cupbearer forgets. And Joseph's left in prison still. And you could say that this was a major setback in Joseph's life. It, it seems like Joseph just couldn't catch a break. You may say that the meanwhile of Joseph's life were beginning to shatter his life. His heart's broken. His dreams are gone. But Joseph's grit continues to shine through. His resilience, his integrity continues to shine through. In the midst of all the wrong turns, in the midst of all the setbacks, Joseph never wavers in his faith. Oh, I imagine there's times of despair in his life. I imagine when his brothers are throwing him into the pit that he's pleading for his life. When they, when they sell him as a slave, he's pleading and asking, why are you doing this? When he's thrown into prison, I imagine he's wondering. But in the midst of it all, in the midst of all the wrong turns and setbacks, he still trusts God. I imagine there's despair, just like you and I have despair in our lives, agony in our lives, when circumstances come and situations come in our lives where hopes and dreams seem lost. Life can get overwhelming. But finally a day came where Pharaoh has a dream. And he's asking who can interpret it. And all of a sudden it dawns on him again. The cupbearer is like, oh, yeah. By the way, do you remember when you got angry at me and you threw me in prison? I met a guy, right? He's not shady. Don't worry about it. I met a guy, right? He interpreted my dream. And he can do the same for you. And so Pharaoh's like, get him. And Joseph shows up, and he begins to say, it's not me, it's God. God has the ability to do this for you, Pharaoh. And he begins to tell Pharaoh the interpretation of what is about to happen. And Joseph ascends into power to the highest rank that he could have, second in command, only to Pharaoh. After seven years of prosperity in Egypt, now a famine begins to come and ravages not just the, the country, but the entire region to the point where Joseph's family is now being affected by the famine. And they hear that there's food in Egypt, and so they set out to go buy some. And there they encounter their brother Joseph when they go to buy food. The same brothers that threw Joseph into the pit, who sold him into slavery, these same brothers are now bowing before Joseph, asking for food. See, Joseph understood the meanwhile of God. And now he understood God's plan and purpose behind it. Because of Joseph's grit, his guts, his resilience, his integrity, his tenaciousness, he was able to rise up and become the second most powerful person and was able to bring the whole family of Egypt, save them, and also save his whole family as well. And he begins to see his dream come true. And so this morning, as we look at Joseph's grit and how 
We can live in the meanwhile. We need to understand that living in the meanwhile is trusting God when life just doesn't make sense. There was a Calvin and Hobbes comic strip that had Calvin come up with this great money-making idea. He grabbed a box and turned it over and began to write these words on it and placed it on the street where he waited patiently for prospective buyers to come. However, none came. And before too long, Hobbes visited him and asked him, how's business going? And Calvin replied, terrible. Well, Hobbes looked at the box and noticed the words that read, a swift kick in the pants, one dollar, and sympathized with Calvin's lack of business. Boy, that's really hard to believe. And Calvin rested his head on his hands and threw up his arms in exasperation and complained about his unsuccessful venture. I can't understand it. Everybody I know needs what I'm selling. It's true, right? For Joseph, he displayed the resilience to overcome all that he went through, and he still focused on God. I'm not sure... You know, have you ever experienced a crisis in your life? You know, maybe someone mistreated you or you just got the wrong end of the deal and maybe you feel like life just keeps knocking you down or whatever, just fill in the blank of the way you've been mistreated. It's never fun when you walk through those moments in life. But your response to any of the trials that life throws at you will reveal what's really inside of you. And it will reveal the depths of your relationship with Jesus. When we step into these narratives, we have choices to make. We can choose to place our trust and confidence in Jesus, that he is going to deal with them and he's going to take care of us, or we can make the choice to trust in our own strength, our own power, the same strength and power that got us into those wrong decisions. And See, we have a choice. We all have dreams, but often the reality of our life doesn't line up with the picture that we've painted in our minds, does it? Do you ever have those moments where you just ask God, why me? Why is this happening to me? Why, God? Why, why are you allowing this? You know, I'm a good person, right? Joseph, he was the father's favorite. He had a dream from God and saw what God wanted to do and what God was going to do. And yet Joseph found himself no longer living that dream. His life is over. He's sold into slavery. He's accused of taking advantage of Potiphar's wife thrown into prison, but then this little phrase appears in Genesis 39, 21. But the Lord was with Joseph in the prison and showed him his faithful love, and the Lord made Joseph a favorite with the prison warden. Underline that. The Lord was with Joseph. I love the contrast here. Joseph is pointed out to be Jacob's favorite, and the brothers hated him for it, and he's thrown into prison. And here the Bible says, Joseph found favor, and now he begins to rise 
in power. See, though Joseph couldn't see it, God was doing a work. He kept his grit. He kept his integrity. He kept serving God faithfully. And in the middle of the worst time of Joseph's life, God was doing something amazing. And while Joseph was wondering what was happening in his life, God's beginning to move the chess pieces around the board, preparing to help Joseph to rise up to become the most influential person, second to Pharaoh in all the known world at the time. His wisdom and planning saved the lives of not only the Egyptians, not only of many other nations, but eventually even his own family. See, we can learn to be faithful living in the meanwhile as long as we learn to take a view from God's perspective. This summer, we were at the wave pool, and we were having a great time swimming, and Braden and I were having fun, and the waves just, they just kept coming, right? If you've ever been to the wave pool, you know, they just keep coming, they just keep coming, and one after another, we would just find ourselves going up and down with the waves, and it was a great moment to share this lesson that, you know what, when you're at the top of the wave, you get to see everything. But when you're at the bottom of the wave, all you can see is the water. You can't see anything else but the next wave that's about to hit you. And so often when life isn't making sense for us, we find ourselves at the bottom of that wave. Our perspective is clouded by our surroundings. You know, we can't just see anything else. All we see is the wave coming. But if we just took a view from God's perspective, if we rose up to the top of that wave even, we could see the edge of that pool wasn't too far away. And so what we need to do is make sure that we look at God's perspective. And Psalm 46, 1, it says, God is our mighty fortress, always ready to help in times of trouble. In the midst of being at the bottom of that wave, Understand, God is there, ready to help you. When things look bleak, when the landscape of our lives is nothing more than waves crashing over you, know that God is watching over you, that God is there helping you. See, living in the meanwhile is also managing the detours of life. The other week, Jeanette and I, we were going to a youth pastor's conference, and as we were driving up, I-75, we noticed that there was some major construction where we were getting off in Troy. And, and so on the way back, we took the same route back, and we wanted to get onto the freeway. And as we were driving to the entrance ramp, we noticed a beautiful, bright orange sign that said, detour. We couldn't get on the freeway. We wanted to, but we couldn't. And so there were signs that were directing us to follow another route. And so we started following that route, and it led us to another entrance, which had another beautiful sign that said, detour, ramp entrance closed. We're like, seriously? And so we kept going, and we kept following the detour signs until it finally stopped. And we were wondering, are we still driving in the right direction? We're like, did we miss a sign that pointed us another way? I'm like, no. 
And so we're like, all right, let's just keep driving south because we know we'll eventually hit 75 or our house eventually. And so we just kept going. And eventually, we got back on the right path. I imagine each and every one of us could share our own stories of, e- of detours that we've encountered while driving. But each and every one of us has another story of detours in our own lives. There's an old saying, the shortest distance is between two points is a straight line. Most of us would love for this to happen when it comes to our journey in life. That if only we could just go from here to there, that straight line, if only we could do it in the shortest amount of time, in the shortest amount of distance, right? With the least amount of turns as possible. But here's what I want you to understand. Your setback could be God set up. You know, has life ever thrown you a curveball? You're wanting to go this way, and all of a sudden now you got to go another. You know, maybe there was a sudden turn of events that left you shaken, left you lost. Perhaps an unexpected set of circumstances at work has you stressed. Setbacks are painful. They're frustrating. And they leave us at a loss of what to do. But what's more important than knowing what to do is knowing who to turn to. See, our setbacks can be God's set up. Proverbs gives us this great piece of wisdom in Proverbs 16:9. We make our own plans, but the Lord decides where we'll go. When I was trying to get on that uh, entrance ramp, the city was telling me where I was going to go. Right? And so often we try to make our own plans and try to do what we want to do. And we know from life experiences, while going in a straight line is preferred, life rarely happens that way, if ever. Usually we have to take a number of detours along the way before that dream is fulfilled, before we reach that destination. And that's the way it was for Joseph. If we could chart his his life, we would see that the line goes not straight, but left, right, back, around, and up and down, and, and probably circled several times around and around before his dreams were ever fulfilled. But with those detours in Joseph's life, his grit, the faith that he held in God, made it possible for Joseph to move forward in the next phase of his journey. See, the problem for us is when we hit detours, we see them as taking us away from our goals. When we hit a detour, we get frustrated because it's now moving us away when in reality, it can be God setting us up for the next phase of our journey. The interruptions, the inconveniences, the intrusions into our lives may be occasions where God's trying to do something and God's working in our life. And so instead of getting frustrated and asking God why these detours are happening, why can't I just go straight, begin to ask God, what are you trying to show me? What am I supposed to learn? See, the Bible doesn't record any conversation Joseph had with God about why this is happening or how unfair he's being treated. 
Instead, you see, the Lord was with Joseph, and he continued to gain favor with those he was serving. And this doesn't happen by accident. It doesn't happen when you have a negative attitude. It only happens when you stay positive, when you stay focused on God and allowing him to direct you. The good news is that when we are managing the detours of life, when our plans are frustrated, when we experience brokenness and loss, God doesn't leave us there. He is with us, and he continues to work with us like he did with Joseph. See, living in the meanwhile also serves God's purposes. In Genesis 41, verse 37, it says, Joseph's suggestions were well received by Pharaoh and his officials. So Pharaoh asked his officials, can we find anyone else like this man, so obviously filled with the Spirit of God? And Joseph, he's an amazing man of grit. He has high integrity, high character. And if I were Joseph, I probably would have been like, pick me, right? I'm right here, right in front of you, right? I'm the one that just told you, right? Joseph, he's capable of doing this job. He's got experience. He's got the giftings. And yet he's humble. He doesn't promote himself. He doesn't try to prove that he's the best for this job. Instead, he sat back and he watched God promote him. Says Pharaoh said to Joseph, Since God has revealed the meaning of the dreams to you, clearly no one else is as intelligent or wise as you are. You will be in charge of my court, and all my people will take orders from you. Only I, sitting on my throne, will have a higher rank than yours. Wow. Joseph sitting there in the prison, serving, tending to prisoners. And all all of a sudden, he interprets a dream. And Pharaoh says, you're not going back. You're going to be sitting next to me, guiding our country, taking care of the people. See, what I want you to understand, God provides differently than we expect. Joseph, I imagine, wasn't expecting that call that morning. He was probably thinking... Today is going to be the same as yesterday. Yet over and over again, we see how God had provided for Joseph. It wasn't in the way he expected. It was different. But God will use everything in our path to shape us and work in us so that he can work out his purpose in our life. For Joseph... It required him being sold into slavery, thrown into a prison to get him to the right person so that he could be promoted to the right position. In Romans 8.28, it says, We know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to the purpose for them. This truth was evident in Joseph's life. But it was phrased a a little bit differently. Joseph was able to step back and look at his life from God's point of view, his perspective, and understand that the detours in life 
had led him to this moment. Though his life had turned out differently than he expected, he could see the hand of God had been guiding him all along. And when his brothers are living with him and his father dies, the brothers approach him and they're fearful that Joseph is going to take revenge on him for what they did to him. And here's his response in Genesis 50, 20. You intended to harm me, but God intended it all for good. He brought me to this position so I could save the lives of many people. He understood. God did it differently. I understand that God works things out for good. And there's no better expression of the power of God than this. Whatever was evil in the hands of others became good in the hands of God. And the same illustration is shown with Jesus, his death upon the cross. With the evil that was intended to nail and crucify him and kill him upon that cross. They thought they had won. But when Jesus rose from the dead and his death had now brought us life, that evil that was intended turned to be good for us. And God is saying that no matter what life brings your way, I can accomplish my purpose in your life. No matter where you find yourself, you can be looking up from a pit or a prison. I can still use you. And maybe you imagine, you know what? All my dreams are dead. I thought God was going to do something like this in my life, but because of circumstances, because of life, because of the years that have passed by, because life has taken a turn, I can't figure out what's next. Understand, God is right there with you. He is there, and he's using these moments to prepare you for his plan, his purpose. And so this morning, let's take a look at our growth work so that when we find ourselves living in the meanwhile, we can continue to have that grit that Joseph had. When people let you down, turn it over to God. It's just life. People are going to let you down. Count on God to handle those in your life that let you down, though. God will take care of it. Don't get angry and lash out at them and try to take revenge. That's what we want to do in the human nature. Joseph would have had every right. His brother sold him into slavery. My brother and I, we got in fights. But you know what? It never once crossed my mind to do something like that. Because I loved him. Love has a funny way of showing it, right? But when those moments happen, turn it over to God. The cupbearer definitely let Joseph down, right? The people who take but don't give, the people who forget you, the people who abandon you, the people who break their promises, 
hand it over to God. It's God's job to deal with them. It's your job just to be faithful to God. And then count on God's providence. When nothing seems to change in your life, continue to count on God's protective care. Someone once said, God uses broken things, broken soil to produce a crop, broken clouds to give rain, broken grain to give bread, broken bread to give strength. It is the broken alabaster box that gives forth perfume. It is Peter weeping bitterly who returns to greater power than ever. God uses broken things, but God also takes care and provides. And you may be on the verge of a breakthrough. See, God doesn't announce it. He doesn't say, you know what, get ready, here it comes. He doesn't say, tomorrow it's happening. Joseph was in the prison serving when he got the call. Come and stand before Pharaoh. You may be on that verge, but while you're waiting, remember to trust God that he's taking care of you. And then finally, give God thanks. Give God thanks. In the midst of the darkest hour, in the midst of the pit, when you're thrown in prison, when you're at the bottom of the wave and you see the next wave coming, give God thanks. God, you have taken care of me so far. You've allowed me to get past that previous wave. And God, I know another wave is about to come, but I'm thanking you in advance for getting me through it. When the reward finally does come, make sure you give God thanks. See, only God can take you from a pit to a palace. And God will reward your faithfulness. So when it comes, be grateful. Thank Him. Show your appreciation and love Him. Let's pray. God, I thank you that you do love us. And God, as we look at Joseph's grit this morning, God, we can see your hand upon him. We can see, because we see from, from the end of the book of what you did, how you took care of him. God, how your hand was on him. And God, this morning I pray, may we begin to see you the way that you see us, how you love us. God, may we see your love for us and may we receive it this morning. And God, I pray that this morning for each and every one of us, that we would call out to you in the good times and the bad, that we would reach out to you and hold on to you with that tenacity that Joseph had. With the resilience to keep going and fighting through. And God, with each step of the way, we'll continue to give you thanks. And so God, this morning, if there's someone here who has not yet said yes to you, this morning they're ready they want to invite you into their life. 
I pray, will you pray this prayer with me? You don't have to pray it out loud. But just simply pray, Jesus, thank you so much for loving me. Thank you for dying on the cross for me. And though I may not understand it all, I do understand that I need you. And I need your forgiveness. And so I ask you to come into my life and forgive me of all my mistakes, all my sin, and help me to live for you. Help me to have that integrity, that resilience, that godly character. And make me new today, I pray in Jesus' name. And God, I also pray for each and every one of us here. God, that when life doesn't make sense, we don't understand why is this happening to us. God, that we will just take a moment and look from your perspective. God, instead of looking at the bottom of the wave, that we go up and say, God, what are you trying to teach me? What are you trying to show me? Help me to learn so that I can grow. And that when the detours in life happen, God, may we know that these are moments that you're instilling character, you're instilling resilience into our lives. And help us, God. Help us to see that detours are not obstacles, but moments of growth. Growth so that when the moment comes, when we're called out from the pit to the palace, God, that we can serve your purpose. We can serve faithfully you all times in every area, knowing that sometimes, God, it's those moments in the pit where we grow and learn the most. It's those moments in the pit where we serve that we discover our purposes. And so, God, I pray as we take this weekend to celebrate, God, may we look to you and ask you to do a work in our hearts and in our lives and help us to have that grit that Joseph had so that we can serve you every day. In Jesus' name, amen.